Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at their own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not even we, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being, my, uh, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, 
that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in, the, in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, friends, uh, good morning, and uh, great to see you at uh, online church this morning. Uh, I uh, really miss seeing everyone. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm praying, as I'm sure uh, we all are, that we'll be um, back face-to-face -face, uh, sometime sooner rather than later. But uh, uh, it's great that we can gather like this and uh, open up God's Word together. So uh, it'll be very important for you to have your Bibles open in front of you. Um, so please uh, uh, have that open in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then uh, we'll have a look at this, this passage together. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you that your mercies to us are new every morning and that we can know your goodness uh, every day of our lives. Uh, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to uh, gather as your people. And even though we are uh, apart physically, uh, we thank you that we are united by your spirit and that your spirit is with us now. And so we ask uh, that your spirit might teach us, um, that uh, he would open up for us uh, your ways in your word. And uh, we pray that uh, this morning you would help us to uh, value and treasure the gospel um, so much that we would be willing to give up all for it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, have you ever noticed that the modern zoo has changed? Uh, you know, when I went to uh, the zoo as a child, uh, I remember it being a place where animals were uh, kept in iron cages and you had these uh, uh, these pits where the wild animals were kept. However, uh, if you go to Taronga Zoo today, uh, you'll find that there are actually no cages or pits, or they have all been replaced by what they now call enclosures and displays. Uh, the wild animals now seem to roam around in landscaped areas, which give the appearance of, of freedom. Uh, why is this the case? Well, uh, I wonder whether it's because we live in an age where freedom is something that we value uh, more than any other value in this world. Uh, you know, we simply cannot stand the thought of anything being restricted in their freedom because we cannot bear the thought of uh, ourselves being restricted in our freedom. And so we get rid of all the, the symbols that imply some sort of restriction and bondage. However, there is always a dilemma when it comes to freedom, isn't there? For often, um, our freedom 
your freedom and my freedom can limit the freedom of others or put them in danger. Uh, we saw this, for example, just a few weeks ago with people protesting the, the government lockdown in the name of freedom, while potentially putting other people at risk uh, or danger by gathering in large numbers during this time of pandemic. Uh, last week, we saw a similar issue in the Corinthian church, didn't we? Uh, if you remember, the Corinthians were free. Uh, they were free to eat meat sacrificed to idols because in the gospel, they, had, they now had knowledge that an idol isn't really anything and that there is one God. But the problem was that the Corinthians were using their freedom uh, by dining at the pagan McDonald's in such a way that could damage the faith of other Christians who were uh, somewhat weaker in their understanding and in their conscience. And so how do you and I use our freedoms? Are we people who stand on our right to freedom? Or has the gospel trained us to think differently about the things we are free to do? Uh, well, friends, I want to suggest that our passage this morning is all about what God says about how we are to use our freedoms and our rights uh, as his people. Now, in particular, I want you to see that the Apostle Paul here speaks about his right to receive material support from the Corinthian Christians. Uh, you can see there in verses 1 to 2 that he begins by talking about his status. Uh, have a look with me there in verses 1 and 2, and you can see firstly that he says that as a follower of Jesus, he has the status of being free, free from the Old Testament law and the expectations of other people around, around him. But secondly, he says that he is an apostle who has not only seen the Lord Jesus Christ himself in his resurrected glory, but being given the special task of taking the gospel to the, to the Gentile nations around him. Thirdly, he says that uh, he is the genuine article because the very existence of this church in Corinth uh, in one of the most degenerate places in the entire Roman world could only show that God has actually been working uh, in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. But as a genuine apostle and gospel worker, what Paul goes on to say is that he has every right to be supported uh, materially, uh, financially, by the Corinthian church. And you can see it there in verse 4 where he says that he has the right to be provided with food and drink, for example. Uh, in verse 5, he says uh, he has the right to marry a believing wife who can help him in his ministry. Uh, just as the, uh, some of the other apostles were married and had wives that were helping them. In fact, Paul says that even from a worldly point of view, uh, it doesn't make sense for a worker not to be supported from the work that he does. And so in verse 7, uh, Paul says, you know, can you imagine a soldier who needs to buy his own rations and provide his own food while on the battlefield? Or can you imagine a farmer who is not allowed to eat from the crops or drink uh, from the grapes that, that he, has, he himself has grown? 
Or can you imagine a shepherd who cannot enjoy some lamb chops after days and weeks looking after his flock in the field? It's a well-established principle, isn't it, that uh, you are supported from the work that you actually do. Of course, Renzo, this doesn't justify the, uh, the lavish lifestyles of celebrity pastors, does it? You know, often you see so-called celebrity pastors like uh, Creflo Dollar. I don't even know whether that's his real name, Creflo Dollar, uh, who owns a couple of Rolls Royces and uh, a personal jet and uh, a number of mansions around the, the United States. Not only does this make a mockery of the Lord Jesus Christ who taught us that the pattern is that we suffer now in order for glory later, but it's clearly not what Paul speaks about here. He's speaking, you can see, about the gospel uh, workers' right to eat and drink, not wine and dine. He's speaking about the gospel workers' right to earn a living, not earn a Rolls Royce. Incidentally, you might be interested to know that in uh, Sydney Anglican churches, of which we are a part, ministers are not actually paid a wage. Now, did you know that? Uh, we are not paid a, a wage that is calculated on the number of hours that we put in, like uh, many of you, uh, nor do we take extra money uh, on the side for services that we perform. But each minister is given uh, what is called a stipend, uh, which is the amount calculated as sufficient for a minister and uh, perhaps his family, if he has one, to, to live on. It's a very wise safeguard, I think, against uh, the corruption and greed that is a real temptation for many ministers of the gospel. But notice that this right to support is not just common sense, but it actually comes in the scriptures from the authority of God himself. And so you'll notice there in verse 9 that Paul quotes from what seems to be a, a pretty random place in the Old Testament. Uh, it comes in Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, 25, verse 4, which uh, Grace read out for us earlier, where it says, you shall not muzzle an ox uh, when it treads out the grain. Uh, now, friends, if you were reading those words in the Old Testament for the first time, I'm guessing that uh, you and I wouldn't naturally think that this has something to do with supporting gospel workers, would we? Uh, I mean, we might think it, it's rather kind of God to let the ox uh, eat while it's working and treading out the grain, but uh, we may not think much more than that. However, I want to suggest that what Paul says here teaches us a valuable lesson on how to read and understand Scripture. For you can see here that the Spirit-inspired Paul interprets the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus and the last days. Now, have you ever wondered, uh, for example, why Christians have the freedom to eat pork and uh, eat shellfish? Hands up if you like eating lobster. Um, some of us. Um, have you ever wondered why you have the freedom to do that as a Christian, even though in the Old Testament, uh, uh, you know, it's forbidden? Well, it's because we read the Old Testament in the light of Jesus and the last days, 
Because when, it, when we come to the New Testament, Jesus actually declares all foods to be clean, you see. In the same way, you can see there that Paul, uh, that Paul says, in the light of Jesus and the last days, that when God talks about you know, not muzzling an ox in the Old Testament, he's not simply talking about cattle, but about providing for those who need support, uh, people like uh, gospel workers, for example. You see, just as God's people were to provide for the ox by allowing it to eat while working, it's even more important for God's people to provide for those uh, who work for the gospel, you see. In fact, Paul says in verse 11 that if the gospel worker sows spiritual seed that feeds you and sustains you for eternal life in Jesus, no less, uh, is it too much to ask for the church to provide material things to sustain the gospel worker physically? I mean, which is more valuable? However, if there is any doubt, uh, Paul goes on to say that the gospel worker's right to material support is actually something that is commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, you can see it, for example, in places like Matthew chapter 10, verse 10, which you see there on the screen, where Jesus says, the laborer deserves his food. Uh, or in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, where he says the laborer deserves his wages. But the point is uh, there in verse 14, where Paul says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Uh, now, my brothers and sisters, I just want to say that uh, my family and I are so thankful uh, to you guys that uh, we are so well supported by um, so many in our church family. Uh, I don't think uh, there has ever been a day when material support was, was lacking for us. You know, just look at the size of my tummy, for example. But I also know that there are some of us uh, who may be stingy with our money and our support for gospel workers in general. And if that is you, then listen to what God says here. If those who proclaim the gospel are feeding you the bread of life itself, then is it too much for God to ask you to provide for them generously so that the gospel might continue to grow and make progress in this world? But here's the thing, friends. Paul's whole argument in this passage is not that he has rights that he wants to hold on to, but that he is willing to surrender his rights for the sake of the gospel. Now, the Christian mindset is not about, you know, how can I stand for my freedom and my rights, but it's all about surrendering my rights. Now, notice in verse 15, he says very clearly that he hasn't made use of any of his rights with the Corinthian church, nor is he angling for these rights when he writes this letter to them. Now, just to be clear, Paul is not saying that it is always wrong to make use of uh, our rights. You might remember that with other churches, uh, Paul was only uh, too happy to, to receive material support. Uh, the church in Rome, for example, or the church in Philippi. But here in Corinth, he is not willing to accept material support from the Corinthian church. Why is that the case? Well, um, it's because, as we will go on to see, 
He wants the Corinthian church to understand three very important things. He wants to teach them three very important things. Firstly, he wants them to see the value of the gospel. He wants to show them just how valuable the gospel is. Follow the logic with me here, friends. But uh, you can see this in the second half of verse 15, where Paul says that his great desire is to boast in something. Now, I don't know what uh, uh, you uh, attempted to boast about, but uh, listen to what he says in the second half of verse 15. He says, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Now, that might seem strange to you and me, because uh, what do we think about when we hear that word uh, boasting or to boast? Well, we naturally think about someone who is arrogant or conceited or big-headed, don't we? Uh, perhaps we picture people like Muhammad Ali, who uh, very, uh, you know, uh, presumptuously claimed that I am the greatest. Uh, I said that even before I knew I was, he had to add in. But isn't it also true that it is possible uh, for you and I not to boast in ourselves, but in another person or thing? And so, for example, if I say to you that Mike Chin is a wonderful person, a very generous person. You know, Mike Chin comes to my house every morning um, with a cup of coffee that he brews for me on his coffee machine then I'm not boasting in myself, am I? I'm actually boasting in something or someone else. Uh, that's what Paul is wanting to do here. He doesn't want to just boast in himself, but he wants to boast in the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and, just, and, and show just how valuable and wonderful it really is. But how does Paul do this? Well, for Paul... Notice that he can't do it simply by preaching the gospel. Why is that? Well, it's because as Jesus' apostle to the Gentiles, Paul was actually obligated to preach the gospel in a way that none of us uh, are to do. You see, Paul did not have any freedom or rights when it came to preaching the gospel. For he was a slave to Jesus, and he had no say in the matter. He was just to go and proclaim the gospel to the Gentile world. Now, that's why in verse 16 he says that for him, preaching the gospel is not an option, it is a necessity. And he will receive the woe of judgment if he doesn't preach the gospel. However, when it comes to the question of whether he will receive material and financial support or not, well, that's something that Paul has freedom in, isn't it? That's something that he has the freedom to choose. And so Paul is only too willing to freely give up his right to material support and to work with his hands in the physical and dirty and stinky job of making tents for a living, which is what the Apostle Paul was. He was a tent maker in order to bring the gospel free of charge and to show everyone just how valuable the gospel really is. 
you know, it's true that you show the value of something if you are freely willing to give up something valuable for it, isn't it? Now, just think about it, friends. For example, um, if I preach the gospel as your pastor, um, it's easy for you to think, well, you know, that's just his job. <laughs> um, he's being supported for it. That's an obligation that Huey has. But if you as a layperson are willing to freely give up your time and your energy and your money and your comfort and your reputation in the midst of a busy and tiring and challenging life circumstances in order to preach the gospel, well, that just shows how valuable the gospel is to you and to the world around us. Do you think when others look at your life and my life that they can see the value of the gospel from the things that we are freely giving up in our lives, the things that we are willing to give up of value, the things that matter to us that we are willing to give up for the sake of the gospel? Secondly, friends, um, I want you to see that Paul gives up his rights because of his deep heart for the lost. You can't miss Paul's heart here, can you? In verse 19, Paul's desire, he says, is to win more of them. In verse 20, his desire is to win the Jews, as well as pagan converts to Judaism, uh, who are people under the law. In verse 21, his desire is to win Gentiles who are outside the law, in verse 22, his desire is to win those who have weak consciences. You get the point. Paul's gospel-saturated heart was to win as many people for the Lord Jesus Christ as possible, and he was willing to give up every right and freedom that he had if it was going to be an obstacle to people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he was with Jews, uh, perhaps he would take part in some of their religious festivals or practices in order to win more of them. Uh, we know, for example, that he was willing uh, to even uh, circumcise Timothy in order to win other Jews. So I don't know what Timothy thought of that, but uh, certainly Paul was happy to do it. Or when he was with Gentiles, he was willing to be flexible and take part in some of the things that Gentiles would do in order to win more of them for Christ. Now, of course, uh, there are limits to Paul's flexibility here, isn't there? For he doesn't say that he would visit Brussels in order to win prostitutes, for example, or that he would take part in sin in order to win sinners. For he is still someone who is under the law of Christ, you see. But you can't miss the thrust of what Paul is saying here, can you? It's summarized in the wonderful words of verse 22. Uh, underline this if you have your Bibles. Now, verse 22 says, um, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. You see, Paul was all in for the gospel and willing to give up all things for the sake of winning other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Uh, you might have heard the name Hudson Taylor. Uh, we have a Hudson Taylor in our church, if you didn't know, but uh, this is another Hudson Taylor who is well known for applying this principle as a missionary to China. Uh, Hudson Taylor was one of the first European missionaries who began wearing Chinese clothing and wearing his hair in a pigtail, uh, just like the Chinese. Uh, other Europeans around him thought that this was demeaning for an Englishman and that he shouldn't do it. But rather than bowing to public opinion, Taylor understood the mind of Christ. He understood Paul's words here. And boy, did he win many Chinese for the Lord. Uh, this week, I, I emailed some of our missionary friends and asked them how they have applied this principle in the foreign cultures that they work in. Uh, Kelly Nicholas, who is uh, our link missionary in Japan, said that uh, she used to have a nose ring. Did you notice that? Uh, did, you, did you know that? Uh, she used to have a nose ring in Australia, but uh, because uh, people in Japan, and these are her words, not mine, uh, because people in Japan think that if you have a nose ring, you're a prostitute, um, she took it out <laughs> when she went to Japan. She freely gave that up for the sake of the people she's ministering to. Uh, BJ in our congregation who comes from Nepal says that uh, some Nepalese Christians freely choose, up, uh, choose to give up eating beef in order to relate to and win the Hindus in the country who think that cows are sacred. Uh, the crisps in Taiwan say, say that, uh, this is an interesting one, they, they say that they serve fruit to their guests at room temperature. Uh, because the Taiwanese like to eat their fruit at room temperature. They like cold fruit, but they take their fruit out a few hours before their guests arrive so that they can serve it at room temperature. Now, these, of course, are small things which they hope to help them build relationships with those around them to win space uh, to proclaim the gospel in. But these friends are also uh, people who have given up their right to live in comfort in Australia. They have given up their whole lives and even the rights of their children to live in a foreign land where they are restricted much more in order to win the lost. But how about you and me? Are we people who have such a heart for the lost that we are prepared to give up things that are precious to us? for the sake of the gospel. Perhaps for us, it might be giving up our freedom and right to sit wherever we want at church when it's time to go back to church face to face so that we can sit with newcomers or uh, those who are unbelievers who come to visit us in order to win them for Christ. Perhaps if a Muslim man uh, walks into our church one day, he might be thinking about, what kind of restaurants we can uh, take him to after church because Muslim people don't eat certain foods. Uh, not long ago, someone wanted to meet with me on my day off to talk about how to become a Christian person. Uh, you know, I was really tired that day. Um, it was my day off. 
Uh, I just wanted to veg in front of the TV and spend time with my wife and children. But in a small way, I gave up this right in order to read the Bible with this person who needed to know Jesus. You know, there are thousands of different ways in which we can do this. And uh, perhaps we can talk about it with one another. But I just want to say that we as Christians must get out of our heads this idea, which I think has crept in more and more, that serving Jesus is just about doing things that I enjoy. Or it's just about doing things that I'm good at. Or it's just about doing things with the leftovers of my time and energy and money. And that's why many Christians will only really turn up to things when it involves very little cost to them or if it fits in with their otherwise comfortable lives. But no, can you see that this is actually no different to the non-Christian person? You know, the non-Christian person is only too happy to do things that they enjoy and are good at and are, and are comfortable with. But if you are a Christian person, you and I ought to be the ones who are willing to give up our rights, our freedoms, the things that are precious to us for the sake of winning the lost. For my brothers and sisters, we are the people who have put in our lot with the Lord Jesus Christ, aren't we? And it is our Saviour and Lord who has given up every right and freedom and privilege for us. The Lord Jesus Christ uh, gave up heaven itself, the right of heaven to come to earth, to take on frail human flesh in a filthy stable and to face temptation and experience hunger and thirst and to be ridiculed in, uh, by the very people he had created in order to die a God-forsaken death, not because he enjoyed it. No, he gave up his rights and freedoms because he loved us and so that he could win us for himself. So how can you and I claim to follow this saviour and not give up our rights and freedoms for the sake of others and their salvation? We can't. You know, I think you can tell far more about a Christian person from what he or she is willing to give up rather than what he or she does for the gospel. Are you and I people who are in the habit of giving up our freedoms, our rights, the things we count precious in order to win the lost? But finally, friends, I want you to see that Paul finishes this part of 1 Corinthians with a strong warning about the danger of disqualification. Now you can see it there in verse 24, where he pictures the Christian life as uh, uh, an Olympic running race, like a marathon. Now his point, of course, is not that the goal of the Christian life is to beat everyone else so that you can win the gold medal for yourself. Uh, no, uh, it is... The goal of the Christian life is to actually finish the race so that everyone, every one of us, can receive the prize. Uh, in ancient Corinth, the prize they gave to 
uh, marathon winners at the end of the race was actually a, a wreath made out of stalks of celery, <laughs> of all things. But here, Paul says that our prize is not just a stick of sagging celery, but in verse 25, it is the imperishable inheritance of heaven itself. But here's the thing, friends. Notice that Paul wants to emphasize the danger of being disqualified from this race. In verse 26, he, he mixes metaphors a little bit here. And so uh, in one part, he sees himself as a runner. Uh, next, he sees himself as a boxer. And next, he sees himself as a wrestler. But the big point is that he will do anything and everything possible to discipline himself so that he will not be disqualified from the Christian race and heaven itself. Now, why would Paul end this passage with this kind of strong warning for himself as well as others? Well, I think it's because he wants to show just how serious it is that you and I are people who are willing to give up our rights and freedoms for the sake of the gospel. For if I am not willing to give up my rights and freedoms for Jesus and for the lost, and if my life is re in reality all about my rights and my freedoms and my comforts and my privileges and living for myself, then don't be surprised, says Paul, if you find yourself one day disqualified from the prize of heaven itself. Of course, Paul is not preaching salvation by works here. But he is saying that if you and I follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given up all things for us, and if we are indwelt by his spirit so that we have his mind, then we will be the ones who learn to give up things that are precious to us for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. But friends, that this, in reality, is actually the greatest freedom. One of the great paradoxes in the scriptures is that true freedom is actually to be set free from my selfishness and my sin. When I was in university, there was a dear Christian brother who used to come and play tennis with me for weeks at a time because uh, he heard that I loved to play tennis. I only found out later that um, this friend didn't actually like tennis. But here he was every week lugging around his heavy tennis equipment in order to play tennis with me when I was a young, immature Christian person who thought, uh, you know, I knew it all. And why did he do it? Well, he did it because he wanted to win me more and more to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, are you and I like this? Is giving up our rights and freedoms for the sake of Jesus and the winning of others a way of life for us? Or are you and I people who simply are in the habit of giving Jesus the leftovers in our lives? I hope and pray that uh, we can be the people or that we are the people who can say with the Apostle Paul, I have become all things 
to all people that by all means I might save some. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together in your word this morning. And we thank you especially for our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you that even though he was in very nature God, he did not stand on his freedoms and his rights, but gave them all up to take on frail human flesh and to hang on the cross for us and for our salvation. Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would transform us so that we might be more and more like our Lord. Help us to be those who can give up things that are valuable to us rather than giving Jesus our leftovers so that we might not only show the all-surpassing glory and value of the gospel to others, but that we might also win the lost for our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, as we live in challenging times when reaching the lost can sometimes be far from our minds, uh, we ask that you would give us more wisdom and more love in order to win those around us who do not yet know you. We pray that you would give us a bleeding heart for the lost like our Lord Jesus, that many might come, uh, even in these uncertain times, to find certainty and hope in the gospel that gives us eternal life and eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.